Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Rediscover our fascinating city this summer on a walking tour from the Chicago Architecture Center, now open and adhering to public health safety standards. Our entertaining and expertly trained docents will guide you through the Chicago you've been longing to explore. From magnificent downtown architecture to awe-inspiring neighborhood gems. If it's worth seeing, we'll take you there. Get tickets at architecture.org forward slash tours. The stories of the city begin at the CAC. It's uh, political junkie time in the Ben Jarofsky show. We're going to take the deep dive talking some serious politics and who better to bring on uh, than to do the political deep dive than our old friend Eddie Armstrong. I say my old friend. It's only his second visit to the show, but I feel he's uh, going to become a regular. Eddie, welcome back to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Ben. I hope I'm a regular. I don't get kicked out of the house one day. No, no, no. There's nothing. <laughs> there really are no rules in the Ben Jarofsky house uh, that you can get kicked out for. I love uh, it. Uh, Eddie, as if you recall from our last uh, interview, is a former state rep uh, from Arkansas, the state of Arkansas. He lives in Chicago now. He was the uh, the minority house leader, so he knows a thing or two about dealing with Republicans. He knows the limitations and the possibilities, if there are any, in a bipartisanship uh, in uh, a legislative body. He knows what you have to do uh, to negotiate with Republicans, uh, how accommodating they can be, and he knows a thing or two about beating Republicans. As nice as he is, he's in the game to win, and he's a competitive young man, Eddie Armstrong. He's in Chicago. Uh, he's uh, in the cannabis business, and we talked a lot about that in the last show. But we're going to stick it, uh, keep it to politics, Eddie, uh, if that's okay with you. Lots Absolutely. Of politics to talk about. All right, Eddie Armstrong. Uh, let it start with that first word of warning, the cautionary tale that you threw out to me, and you know how every vote is important. And I said, uh, Eddie Armstrong, what do you want to talk about? And you said, if you're going to vote by mail, you got to be serious about the how game is played. Talk about that, Eddie Armstrong. Well, you know, it's important that we start putting this on the radar right now as we embark upon the first day of September. You know, it's a great Virgo season. My birthday's tomorrow. Uh, but as it relates to voting, 60 days out, and a lot of states, a lot of states, 19 over, um, there are a lot of questions swirling on how do I get my mail-in ballot in? Will they have a drive-through service? What's regular voting going to look like on an actual election day? And those are things that if you are in any state, community, township, um, you should start asking yourselves at the dinner table in your households or domiciles is, what's this process really going to look like? Um, 
Lord knows we've been hit with a ton of things this year um, that have caught us off guard. COVID, let's just start with the pandemic, but let alone now we're coming up against an election with the backdrop of this pandemic. And will you have enough time to vote by mail in your state or in person? And those questions are critical. Um, Calling your county uh, clerks, your election offices to identify what the actual protocol is in your state for either a mail-in ballot absentee um, and or voting in person through drive through considering the COVID pandemic. You know, I take into consideration that in 2018 or the last cycle, um, we all will have mail-in ballots. You know, that's a part of this process. Everybody's not going to go to the polls. Absentee is real. The the key is, in the last cycle, you had about 95, I think close to 95% in a recent article, maybe today in the New York Times, they said 95% of all ballots mailed in were counted within three to five days, Ben. Mm. Okay, 95%. That's a pretty good watermark. Yes, it is. Um, we'll dive into this later, the fear tactics or not, you know, depending on who you are and how you look at it, of what the United States postal system is is in, you know, catching right now and what's being talked about on this being a way to disenfranchise voters. Well, don't wait on the postal service. Don't wait on your county clerk or your alderman or your, um, your representative or your senator. Start asking questions now. Pick up the phone and simply try to find out what's the process to me getting my ballot in. And once you know that, I think for the public out there listening, Take into consideration that on election night, you know, there's a certain number of votes we know we all need for the electoral from the electoral college. But in the event you're wanting to make certain that your vote as an individual citizen is counted, it'd be wise for you to start asking questions right now, September 1st, 2020, as we lead into October and the 60 day or so window that most states grant to get these mail-in ballots in. So, you know, that's something you want to be on top of. Our mm-hmm. county clerks, our election officials, concerns right now, as they should. You know, you're looking at maybe a seven to 10 day um, delay in those votes that would have taken a three to five day um, time frame to count in the past being counted this time. So that will really throw a juggernaut um, mm-hmm. in what we expect to see. Um, on that great, great night in All right. November. Uh, let me break down some of the things you said, get your reaction. Uh, I have mixed feelings about uh, the paranoia over the post office, uh, Eddie, and I'll tell you why. Uh, number one, a lot of people in my family have worked for the post office. I work for the post office. I sort of have a bias in favor of the post office. I confess here, here. that up front. Uh, <laughs> and having said that, I'm overhearing many conversations that people are having when they're just filled with doubt and dread about the post office. And part of me doesn't believe it because I'm getting my mail on a regular routine basis. When people tell me uh, something's in the mail, like, and they have literally dropped it in the mail, like, instead of using it as an excuse for not having sent it, I get it. I get my mail on time. I get my magazines on time. So I have no reason to believe that the mail service uh, is not working. That's said in the back of my mind i must make this confession eddie 
I plan to vote in person. I got a mask. I've come to terms with the pandemic. I feel as though uh, certain, the mask as a precaution will protect me. I'm hoping to get to vote at the United Center here in Chicago to celebrate the victory that the NBA players made uh, in their <laughs> sit down with uh, with their boycott of the games. I hope to take advantage of that. I really want to uh, vote. And I, everybody knows I'm voting for Joe Biden. I hope to vote for Joe Biden in the house that uh, Michael Jeffrey Jordan built. I think that would just be a great moment for me. And in terms of you, in the house that uh, your fellow Arkansanian or whatever they call it, Scotty Pippen played so many great games in. So hey. I, I plan to vote in person. How are you viewing it? Do you Are you going to vote by mail or are you going to vote in person? This will be my second election to vote by mail. Um, I'm a transient, you know, part millennial, part Gen X guy, you know, I'm married to a millennial. We move around a lot, but voting in this household is something that we take very seriously. And we've already began the process to make certain that that happens. You know, you mentioned that wonderful privilege of getting your mail on time. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I, you know, bring to the conversation today is, you know, I'm from a good old rural state. And in some of those rural parts of Arkansas, um, I still am the type of guy that sits down on a Saturday morning and maybe pins 10 postcards and licks the stamper, puts the sticker on. By the way, I like that process. However, in this pandemic, some of my mail has not particularly arrived in the three, four days, two days that it would typically have taken to send a note from um, Chicago to Little Rock. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's directly to my mom's house or an old friend that I may have sent a get well card to. So I, I, I'm not in the fear uh, or um, nostalgia game of what we see on social media and the news or media. I am just simply a voice of reason to encourage those that do not show up to the house that MJ built and may not have an opportunity to go to, go to a drive up um, vote from your car with your mask service and may not even go stand in the line. Um, forbid if we have rain or a snowstorm in the good city. Um, mm-hmm. Get your ducks in a row now is all I'm encouraging. All right, fair enough. Now, let's. you, you mentioned uh, the post office in rural areas of Arkansas. And uh, one of the or curious... Indiana uh, or Kentucky or, you know, Wisconsin, battleground states like that in Michigan... These states, while we think about Detroit or Madison or Milwaukee first, or even a big city like Houston, they are still very rural, still plenty of farmers and good old old school folk that live in those rural lands. And, you know, they may be tuning into this, but this is my encouragement. Whoever you're choosing on your ballot, get your stuff in order right now. Mm Well, the point I was about to make was that uh, it, the uh, the attack on the post office, at least the verbal one, to undermine it uh, by the Republican Party at this moment, Eddie, it seems in some ways self-defeating for an old-timer like me because I recall in past debates, it was rural areas where support for the post office was strong. And I recall Republican legislators 
congressman uh, standing up for the post office, not wanting to lose uh, their local branches, uh, not wanting to lose sort of that uh, that outpost, almost like a community outpost mm-hmm. uh, in a small town. Is that your uh, memory of how things are? There was talk? once upon a time. And, you know, I, I, I know that there's a current person occupying the White House that claims that you'll see the biggest voter fraud nightmare (laughs) in this case. But to your point, that was once the case, these outposts, you know, before there was train or rail or, you know, our interstate commerce through the, you know, our our highways and tollways, um, people were really dependent and relying upon their local outposts to be their communication pipeline. And, And a lot of that still is the same today. I I see the news. Um, I get my mail on time, even if it's a day that I miss checking it. I still most of my mail is coming pretty regularly. But I, I must say that um, if I'm in one of these rural corners and I like my way of life, if I have a concern, I am not trying to create any nostalgia. I am, again, simply trying to convey that with all that we have in our society, which we will get into. I think I listed at least 11 alarms that were um, placed on the, the, the Republican convention last week. That's like, Oh no, if we, what's the bottom with all that we have going on, hurricanes, unpredicted weather, crime, you know, looting. The last thing you want to do is if you're not voting in person to worry about if your ballot was counted on election day and or the preceding days to follow. So I just, you know, a a caution to the wind is all I'm offering there. Uh, Eddie, you mentioned 11 alarms uh, from the Republican convention. Uh, What are some of the alarms? And uh, take a little deeper dive in them that uh, you were alluding to. Last time I checked, there's nothing in my blood that says that I'm a super radical. Um, But let's just go with the new mantra for the Democratic Party known as the radical left. Yeah. Uh, uh, Or... Destroying our democracy, number two. Um, Taxes being raised versus cutting taxes to fund. You just call it stupid to some of them that may have just said it, just the Green New Deal, whatever it's to fund, but raising taxes as a scare, as an alarm. Um, Opening our borders, um, racial unrest, um, they known as anarchists, um, riots, looting, Crime in our streets and all of our major cities, hurricanes um, that are now on the horizon as it relates to, you know, the recent weather we just had um, in the past few weeks. A a lot of these alarms that I mentioned at the very top of the list, I've never categorized any of my Republican colleagues, whether it be my time as a junior lobbyist learning my way in Washington, D.C. on behalf of Boys and Girls Clubs of America or a mid-level lobbyist for a major corporation like Tyson Foods covering 18 states, or in the State House of Representatives, the labeling of which we choose to take to call names and to put a posture of, you should be afraid, American people, of these people is something that um, I, 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 don't, I don't think that in this time or any time particularly is the, is the winning way, but it's tactical. 
Um, Democrats are um, um, guilty of it. Um, Republicans are now doing their best last week to really call the the call out. But what does that really get you? You know, we got an unsafe America. You know, we're going to destroy our democracy. You know, our pathway forward is on the decline if you vote for Joe Biden. You know, he's against urban communities. Look at the crime bill. I mean, there are just all of these things that came out in addition to, you know, blacks for Republicans or the great Senator Tim Scott um, or, you know, the, the, the civil rights legend that spoke that, you know, really couched their message and what their beliefs are at this time. But do you really need all of the alarms of putting fear out there for the suburban mom voter? Mm-hmm. You know, or, you know, for the folks, as I mentioned, oftentimes my brothers and sisters in rural America, you know, there is a way to get things done. And I liken it back to a time when there was a president in office with the last name Nixon. And to some, you would soon say not a great man by any stretch, but somewhere aside from his personality or person were legislative policy opportunities that he sees the moment for the EPA establishment, Title IX. You know, where does that fit into the play of today? And I tell you, it doesn't fit because everything's instantaneous, breaking news, social media, gotcha, aha, who can I get moments? And, you know, that's where we are. The alarm is, the bell's been rung. Yeah, that's where we are. And uh, I watched uh, good portions of each convention. And if I had to distill it, uh, the Republicans were spreading fear while the Democrats were preaching unity. The Republicans were concentrating on divisions while the Democrats were uh, talking about common ground. And as much as I like to believe that good will triumph over bad, I have my doubts as a longtime observer of politics in this country and how it plays out. In your humble opinion, Eddie, can going high, uh, taking the high road, I should say, uh, as Michelle Obama urged in 2016, defeat taking the low road, which is where it seems the Republicans want to travel? You know, I am made up of the school of the the great President Clinton and and Hillary Clinton. And for those out there in listening land that may not agree, when I say I'm of the school, there was a man from a watermelon town called Hope that really tried his best to bring us along. You know, call the crime bill, three strikes you out, a real slap in the face at communities that look like me. And I want to dive into that too because we're fighting a a couple of fronts of a war here in our in, in, in our society, not just a cultural war, but a community war for African-Americans and, and how important their vote is. Um, but what I was able to learn and garner from my time of being not even able to vote for President Clinton because I was a kid, but watching where we came from as a state, um, it really gave me, you know, a difference of opinion on how he was able to just work through this, even with those that differ from him. And I look at where we are right now and what took shape after the RNC. You know, both of these conventions were very unorthodox, very new. We didn't, 
know that the president will use all powers, Mike Pompeo included, mm-hmm. to just say, hey, I'm going to do it this way because everything I've done since getting elected has been unconventional. I wasn't your average Republican. I wasn't your Christian conservative. I kind of took my own lane and a lot of people conform to Trump, not Trump conforming to Christian fiscal Tea Party radical right or whatever you may call it. They conform to him. Mm-hmm. And after the convention, I must say, Trump's polling numbers didn't go down. You know, I think he held his line. And, you know, while it's right there at the low 40s, I think he closed the gap a little bit. So, you know, to answer your question, um, can Democrats win you know, or defeat a campaign based on hate? The answer is yes, they can win. Uh, Michelle and Barack Obama going high is quite naturally the theme of the African-American experience in the United States of America, a system built on white supremacy. I mean, from as low as you can possibly be as a slave or an ancestor thereof, your blessing is to keep faith and to go high. And look what we got out of that. In this case, I think where Michelle or First Lady Obama talk about President, potential President Biden being the president of transition, it is very true indeed that we are seeking some sort of transition in our society as America, um, whether that be a transition of more Trump or a transition to get us out of this time in our, you know, this crystallized moment of the past eight months or what may be the next five years post November. Democrats, I think, can win. And that's not coming from an internal optimist perspective. But yes, I do. Oh, I, I came from 36 Dems, which controls both the Dem- the Senate and the House in Arkansas for 100 years as Democrats. Mm-hmm. And we were voted down to 36. So we still have this optimism that, yeah, we could take the House back. Malarkey. Um, I'm coming from a place now where continue to go high and understand we can win, but we've got a lot of work to do within our own factions as opposed to the rock throwing and that it's Trump's to take. At the end of the day, his base is still real. Those people that show show up at his rallies will be the same people in line to go vote. Rest assured, they are going to the polls. Mm-hmm. Many of them will be those that respond to this you know, call on getting yourselves in place to make certain you have enough time to go vote. It is, what will we do? What will Democrats do? African-American women, women in general, um, I would like to soon think that a lot of them gravitate to this moment in time in history, you know, post Hillary Clinton. However, African-American young men between the ages of 18 and 25 and older to 40, there is still a lot of question in the room of what gets them up and going to vote? What has charged them up in the backdrop of Jacob Blake? Yeah. Wow. A lot to unpack there. Before we get to uh, what gets, uh, what motivates young African Americans to vote in the aftermath of Jacob Blake, the shooting, you mentioned something. I took notes and I want you to uh, expound if you could. A community war for African Americans. What exactly were you getting at when you said that? This country, white supremacy. Um, 
Mike Pence gave a great speech from a spot where we all know the debate over the third verse in the Star Spangled Banner. When a country is built on white supremacy, or if you think about the Aborigines and our Indian brothers and sisters, where your community has been structured and or placated to in a way to where devices or vices are planted in addition to guns, in addition to drugs that we don't fly to go get, we don't have access to an arms dealer. You have this community in which the destruction and despair has spread not only from urban areas in the heart of Chicago or Los Angeles, they're now in rural areas. And when you think about all of that built on white supremacy being the premise, low education, crime, drugs, poor health, access, your infrastructure is already weak. What hope does it give you if you're coming from an infrastructure that's already weak to pull yourself up by the bootstraps when you are already bootless? Okay. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're waging our own battle within our own communities of saying, okay, well, my great grandmother or my grandmother would have given me or supplied me with a pair of boots. Some of that doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. And in major metropolitan areas, you're seeing crime at a rampant pace. I think they highlighted on the world news, major cities are at all time highs again of crime where that wasn't the case. Is that all the presidents to blame? Or are we really talking about equality? Is it the is it the all cry for look? These communities have never had a stable footing to move themselves out, and until our own communities take account for that first, these fights and battles that we're in the middle of to be the black Democrats or the black Republicans of pre-reconstruction, which was touted on the RNC last week. I mean, there's a real self-check of what are we doing to identify our own problems, capitalize on our own solutions, galvanize our own voting base and block, and really, really utilize that. You know, great recognition to the late John Stroger and Arkansan who came to this great town and is to some here would say the author of the political machine with old man daily, but it wasn't just the machine. It was, we take care of our own communities. We make certain that we have our voting blocks there and we use our voting blocks in turn to negotiate opportunities to be a part of the overall narrative of change throughout the city of Chicago, whether that be Ohio, whether that be Michigan or Detroit now, which is completely in a different up spiral. We're fighting a whole nother issue while at the same time being accused. Imagine if Eddie Armstrong was a Ku Klux Klan member. Mm-hmm. And I said to my fellow Klan members, look at the unrest, look at the anarchists, look at the looting and violence of these African-Americans. When the looting starts, the shooting starts. Look at that message of what I've now created up against the backdrop that they didn't even have it. And when they did have it and reconstruction did exist, it was snatched away from them. And so if we're going to take claim to any one candidate, there's a lot of work within our own communities that must be done 
while simultaneously negotiating, working through opportunities, whether it be Trump or five presidents beyond him, hmm. at how we really get to the central nervous system of the lag indicators within our minority subset communities. Hispanic community, no different. Northwest Arkansas, very thriving community with Walton family and Walmart and Tyson. The Marshall Islanders, these communities exist. And the World News reports COVID-19 pandemic, the people most impacted are in what communities? There's a, I mean, we're on a, and that's just one side in addition to trying to come out and fight the other side of where we find our place in this. And, you know, some would soon say our president has done more for any African-Americans that come on now. Mm. <laughs> you know, what's our real bottom here is yeah. what I'm asking. You know, is it four girls being blown up in a church in Alabama? Is it more police unrest or a killing of a you know young African American running across the park in North Carolina? Let's not even talk about Jacob Blake. Let's you know date it back to other killings. Is it Emmett Till? I mean, what's our bottom of where we really grab a hold of the community that they've tried to manipulate? No different than what they did with some of our Indian ancestors and and providing alcohol or rubies as they were shown the, mm. the, the great virtues of this land. I mean, it's just. And they're not my enemy. None of these individuals I'm speaking about are my enemy. I'm just simply saying there is much work to do to coalesce that regardless of what side of the aisle you sit on. All right. Uh, before we get to they're not my enemy, I got to backtrack to something you said. Uh, Jacob Blake and the young black vote. Uh, what were you getting at when you uh, made that statement? I've mentored for the last 12 years young African-American men and women. Um, from ages 18 to 25. And one of the things in the South, and particularly in Arkansas, um, I, I recognize is that there was a lot of energy after the death of Michael Brown um, for young people to really respond in a way that you're seeing the response heightened to down. Looting, protests, riots, and, and, and Michael Brown's had nowhere near the reverberation of people you're seeing in the streets now that are of all colors. But what these young men have sat on my couch and at my coffee table and shared with me, unlike John Lewis and Good Trouble Days, is that do we really have a shot here? I mean, do we really have a real opportunity here? And I can't, I'm not going to use the most colorful words, but do they really give a F? <laughs> and when I say they, the powers that be, the infrastructure that's here, for it to be real equal opportunities to grow and expand and to be a part of. We had a conversation last week or the last time I was on on social equity and inequalities within the booming cannabis space. You know, average young man that I'm mentoring saying there's no way I would ever could ever be a part of participating in this, Mr. Armstrong. So I'm just going to continue to work at Wendy's or I'm going to try my best to get out of college and go my way. And that shouldn't be the case. Construction, engineering, contracts, you know, opportunities to be a part of the real fabric of making something of yourself for a lot of young African-American men after seeing Jacob Blake. Uh, nothing encourages them to say, hey, go to the polls and cast your vote for Joe Biden. I mean, can you, can you honestly say that they are encouraged by that. Joe Biden is still 
you know, a, a, a white elder statesman, a good man that I know personally. Um, however, uh, I don't know that the average 18-year-old African-American male is motivated by that, and we have to work towards that because my colleagues on the other side of the aisle are counting them out. They, were, they counted them out years ago. They're going to count them out now. And I am so grateful that we've got the illustrious, the great, you know, esteemed attorney general Harris on the ticket because it's what we need, not only for Joe Biden, it's the same thing I liken to what Joe Biden was to President Barack Obama. Someone within the Senate and Congress confines that can really work through trying to bridge a gap where needed to make something happen in the Congress. Mm -hmm. All right. You said something else that I have to follow up on. <laughs> you said, and I'm quoting, they're not my enemy. Yeah. And uh, I, by that, I, th I think you were alluding to Republicans. And yeah. I, I will play devil's advocate with you. Republicans view you and me as their enemies. And that was definitely the theme that came out of the Republican convention uh, when was that two weeks ago? And that has been doubled down on when I see the rhetoric cropping up regarding uh, Kyle Rittenhouse, who was the 17 year old who shot two, uh, killed two protesters uh, in Kenosha. And many uh, Republicans are saying, let him out. He's a patriot. Uh, he was protecting law and order, et cetera, and so forth. Uh, Brian Erlocker even uh, joined that, the, the great Bear linebacker, stunned a lot of his friends and former teammates by in that direction. So you say they're not my enemy, and they act as though we are their enemy. How do you reconcile that? You know, I think about people like Congressman Clyburn. He's the top-ranking African-American Democrat in Congress, Okay. We know what that was for Joe Biden in the end when everybody counted him out. If Congressman Clyburn or John Lewis went about their day-to-day -day operations viewing the other side of the aisle as their enemy, there is no way they would have been able to sustain themselves this long. They're operators. They're, you know, it's the stinny, this the orange hatches and the, you know, Patrick Leahy's of the world and the old Joe Biden's, regardless, these institutional uncles and grandfathers of Congress have these top ranking positions because they see beyond the fight of making temporary enemies. Mm -hmm. However, the tenor of what wins elections in this hyper polarized way beyond C-SPAN. Heck, I mean, you've got the Twitter president of the universe. Yeah. <laughs> he is, he's going to say what he thinks and thinks what he says, and whether you like it or not, um, that is what this president is going to do. And what real diplomats, what real political leadership looks like is not capturing the moment of making an enemy, but continuously trying to identify as an old mentor once told me, it's kind of like steel hunting. You can't take every shot, but you can sit just still enough until you get your shot in plain view. And there is going to be a time for that. And so I'm, I'm not of the pathway of making enemies. Um, 
I'm in the pathway of being able to identify when it is best to take a shot. You know, Obamacare wasn't passed overnight. How long did it take us, Ben, to, to create health care reform in the United States? You've been around longer than, than I. My whole lifetime. All right. <laughs> and we're still not there yet. I'm an old guy, Eddie. Hey, so, uh, do you get my point? It's things like that where, or, you know, there was a lot of big complaint when I worked in manufacturing world that all of our jobs were leaving America. And I hear this president say, well, I'm bringing the jobs back home. Good for the United States. But do you have to do that at the behest of making another country your enemy in order for you to galvanize the support through a fear tactic? And I don't know if that's always got to be the drumbeat. You know, I listen to, you know, the good and faithful senator from Arkansas, Tom Cotton, speak directly from script. Uh, and some would soon say, hey, you know, he's got the grit of a, you know, cattle farmer and, and turned army ranger and he's a Harvard lawyer. And what a, a resume, you know, what a resume. And liberals will dismiss him is what they say. Well, they're not dismissing him. But a lot of what he talks about and a lot of what's happening right now isn't the drumbeat of what those citizens at the core, he has to win over again. And not only win over, he has to deliver for them. And, and I don't know if what his narrative is right now is one that says, I intend to deliver to the three million people that I'm elected to go to Washington and represent. I think he's speaking to a sector of the Arkansas society. But is that Arkansas? No, no different than Durbin, no different than Robin, no different than the greats that are right. Danny Davis right here. You can't just block out your sector when you're representing the whole. Um, so there are numerous falsehoods, numerous misstatements that you can grab a hold to, but I refuse to make any of those falsehoods or misstatements make those colleagues of mine that I may serve with now or in the future, my enemy. This is, this is why it's called the school of politics. This is the art of it. This is the sausage making. And right now it's just the other team is worse than my team. And nobody name, how many, how many pieces of legislation, how many things have you heard in these four years that have gotten done through a fruitful compromise of both sides of the aisle? Well, I could tell you that the only uh, legislation of consequence that fits that category, in my humble opinion, where it was bipartisan support uh, and, and I thought it was uh, a meaningful intent, would have been the first step legislation, uh, which sure. was, was a first step toward criminal justice reform. And I want to thank Kim Kardashian. Somehow or other, she got into Donald Trump's head and sold him on it, and he went with it, and the Republicans followed him. Uh, the only other piece of legislation of significance that has passed uh, in the Trump era has been the tax cut, which I do not think has been beneficial to the country as a whole. And I got to tell you this, Eddie, I received Tom Cotton. Uh, we were alluding to Tom Cotton, the senator from Arkansas. Uh, Eddie Armstrong knew him back in the day uh, when they were both coming up. They're roughly the same generation. I get emails from him all the time. For some reason, I know I told you this before, I'm on their mailing list. And mm -hmm. he treats people like me, like we're the enemy. 
It's so funny. He's sending the email. I mean, they don't know they're sending it to me. For some reason, they think I'm going to give him money. Because we need your money to defeat the radical left, which is trying to destroy everything that's good about this country. And so when you talk in terms of politics, and I really find it meaningful about something very practical, like making sure that jobs stay in Arkansas or stay in Illinois or stay in Colorado and do not leave this country that's something substantive. But I don't see the Tom Cottons of the world delivering on that. I see them getting by cheap with rhetoric saying, hate Ben. I hate Ben or the Bens of the world so much uh, that you should vote for me. Do you follow what I'm saying? Absolutely. You know, and good for that young man. Good for that brother, you know. And I say good for him because everybody has to find their place. I learned some some such valuable lessons from some of my old Democratic colleagues that switched parties out of political expedience the day Donald Trump got elected. And I never really pointed the finger and said, you're my enemy now. I looked at it and said, hey, I understand this is your position to maintain some sustainability within the confines of this, the average American isn't really up on what all goes into Springfield to bring about tax reform or, you know, what region of the great state of Illinois is going to be able to benefit from infrastructure improvements. They're electing us to go and understand that. And you get people like Senator Cotton that talk all over themselves to some degree. Again, a very smart man. I knew him before a Harvard degree. I knew him as only Tom Cotton, and I knew his dad very well. And the American Legion Arkansas Boys State System. Um, and the Tom Cotton today versus the Tom Cotton that encouraged a young African-American man from urban Arkansas, right in the middle of the hood, if you want to just call it all the way out. That he could go on and do something, regardless of if he was from Yaleville, Pocahontas, Strawberry, Arkansas, Greasy Corner, Arkansas, Fayetteville, Bentonville, Pine Bluff. You can do this. Isn't the message, but I'm not going to make Tom Cotton my enemy. I am just going to capture what once was and say, hey, that still exists. Take this, for example. We got nine weeks remaining. Only 17 percent of registered Republicans are non-white. Think about this. Mm. 17%. So what are we going to do if they get all of theirs and the Democratic Party, which is the big tent party, gets you know only half of theirs that they're banking on? Michigan and Wisconsin, these battleground states, you know, it's the new backdrop. So the argument that he's making is no different than the guy that's the president coming out on WWF wrestling. <laughs> you know, or The Apprentice. It's a, it's, a, it's a show and a narrative that's being played out. And people have to be able to discern between that and really understand what matters to them back in their districts, back in their regions, back in their states. Um, and if they're not careful, again, this is Trump's election to take and Tom Cotton's to prepare for in 2024. I heard my great friend back in Arkansas, Roby Brock, interview him and ask him if he was positioning himself for presidency. And he laughed it off as a, no way, you know, never say never, but no, I'm only focusing on galvanizing the votes of the great people of the state of Arkansas. How are you doing that by being so divisive in a time like now? 
if you really are truly trying to win over the votes of the people that elected you, how are you doing so with that narrative? The one that you just spoke about, you know, the radical left, they're destroying. The democracy is destroyed. It's mm. it's and we are to blame. The radical left is to blame. They're going to raise your taxes. They're going to open these borders. We have a pandemic. You've got anarchists in the streets. Vote for Donald Trump and everything will be okay, ladies and gentlemen. Not anything about the record that makes the people consult. None of this is new. Like I said, what's the bottom? You know, is it is it raping lynching, destroying towns after you allow for 40 acres and a mule to be a part of the allotment and taking it all back. What is the new bottom for now? You know, is it the Blake incident and the Blue Lives Matter versus Black Lives Matter? What's the bottom? Have we seen it? Is it the pandemic? I mean, it's September. We hadn't even hit Turkey Day yet. So (laughs) I'm just, I don't know, but none of this is new. It's still a tactic that's being used. And it is important for the listening audience out there that follow you so much, Ben, to just really try and take a pause from social media, nightly news, all of that, and make a discerning decision on what they want their country to look like. And I can't go in everybody's home. We can't. But, you know, we can understand where people come from based off of where they come from. Uh, That's a good point, as any, to leave it. Eddie Armstrong, thanks for taking the time to talk to me. I'm going to distill that optimism that you have and put it in my coffee tomorrow. (laughs) And I'll be singing a good song. Uh, Is this the wake up, everybody? It's a beautiful day. Oh, my God. (laughs) Did Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes just show up? I thought I was interviewing. (laughs) Is that Teddy Pendergrass? Good God. Eddie Armstrong can, uh, he's a political leader. He uh, is a, a consultant in the cannabis industry. He wants dual Tom Cotton uh, oh. in, in debates and brought him to his knees. And he can sing like Teddy Pendergrass. He does it all. <laughs> Eddie, thank you so much. We'll bring you back real soon, all right? Thanks so much, man. I appreciate for being on. That's Eddie Armstrong. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. Like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.